Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. Living by faith. I have a, I have a strong perception. I have a strong impression. I believe it's the Lord ministering to my heart. Something we need to talk about. Um, you know, um, something that I believe will be a blessing to you, living by faith. Hallelujah. And I, I also trust that the Lord will use it to answer questions in your heart and be a blessing to you. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. I want to read, we're going to focus on three stories that happened that the Lord did, that three stories of the things that the Lord did with um, three different people on the question and the subject matter of faith. And I want you to be, um, I want you to be complete in all the will of God. I want you to be complete in all the will of God. I want to stand perfect and complete in all that is the will of God for you. Um, it is possible to perceive or understand one side of the will of God and not understand the other side. And the truth is that because of the kind of faith that we have, where we have a God who is the greatest consciousness, who is, who is consciousness, who is being himself, his ways and thoughts are much higher than ours. So he has revealed certain things to us and from our view, from our perspective of what God has, has, has revealed to us, some of those things will look like paradoxes. What that means is it will look like as if it's contradicting, even though both sides have proof. Do you understand that? You know, when something is a contradiction, it means... One side does not make sense with another side. Most times, a contradiction is resolved because if the other side does not make sense, you have to ask for proof. If there's no proof for it, then it doesn't make sense. Do you understand that? That's why you cannot say um, um, Emmanuel is a married bachelor. Do you understand that? It doesn't make sense because it is impossible for you to find a married bachelor. We've never found it. So it's a contradiction. Therefore, it is nonsense. Do you understand that? You cannot say there is a square triangle. It doesn't make sense. Why doesn't it make sense? Because you can claim it, but we've never seen it. So being a square means you have four sides. Being a triangle means you have three sides. We've never seen both of them aligned before. Do you understand that? But one of the things that are interesting about God is that there are sometimes that God will tell us some things and reveal some things to us that will sound like a contradiction, but when you take them apart, you will find out that both sides have evidence. Both sides have proof. Do you understand that? And so, instead of, so we don't call that a contradiction. We call it a paradox. That means two sides don't seem to agree. We cannot reconcile it. But both sides have proof. Hallelujah. So, do you understand that? Because of that, because of this simple phenomenon that happens in... I'm using big words, Abby. Because of this simple thing that happens with respect to the revelation of, of Jesus... There are a lot of things about Christianity where you can take one side of a revelation and ignore the other side. And because of that, you will, not, you will stand in some kind of the will of God, but not in all the will of God for your life. Do you understand that? And this happens a lot, especially with respect to um, this talk of war principle, this thing I call talk of war principle, whereby at a certain time there's an error. In order to correct that error, we show the truth. But the nature of emphasis, whenever you emphasize something, the emphasis can make it look like as if that thing you are emphasizing is the only side of the story. Do you understand that? Meanwhile, there's another side that is being ignored. 
Now, when you emphasize only one side long enough, it will now be like as if it will now form another kind of error where it will be like as if you are ignoring all the other truths. So, you, again, you now want to correct that issue by overemphasizing another side. Do you understand that? Then you want to emphasize this side. And then when you're overemphasizing this side, it leads to another error and then like that. So that's why it's actually the work of the minister, it's the work of the teacher of the gospel, it's the work of God's servants to make sure that um, they help the believer, pray for them, teach them so they can stand in all the will of God. And this subject of faith is one that is very, very important. It's very easy to abuse. And by the grace of God and by the help of the Holy Spirit, I'll be able to explain it well to you. And I'm going to use three stories that the Lord put in my heart from the scriptures to explain it well so you can understand what faith is. I've been telling you guys, the story. I've been teaching you guys about faith in the following years. And obviously, as with all ministry, the, the older a minister gets, the better they get at teaching, you know, teaching certain things. And I believe that the Lord has even given me more understanding to even explain this subject of faith very well. Do you understand that? <laughs> you understand what I mean better now. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. So Jesus told them to go. He will meet them. Then he was on this side. He told the crowd, you guys can go and everything. Just pass them. So Jesus went to pray um, by himself. Um, later that night, he was alone. Verse 24. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So the disciples who are the apostles were on the boat far from land. They were in the middle of the lake. And then the winds were blowing. And, you know, they were good to capsize. Verse 25. Shortly after dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. So Jesus saw them from the land. He saw them. They ascended them. Saw them on the lake that they were, you know, being buffeted and all that. So Jesus now, casually, being the logos through whom all things were made, he took his creation and did it how he likes. Hallelujah. So he walked on water. Praise God. And so Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when, he, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So obviously, I mean, it makes sense that you'll be scared if you see anybody walking on water in the middle of a massive lake. I'm talking about massive lake, like big lake. You know, many of us in Nigeria have never seen big bodies of water before. You know, that kind of thing. So maybe we've gone to the bar beach and all that. So massive body of water and he walks on it and they saw him casually walking on water with all the waves going on. I thought it was, you know, a ghost and he said, don't worry, I'm the one. Verse 28. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. So, Lord, please prove to us that um, it, is not, um, it is not a ghost. Hmm. Then verse 29, come, he said. That's come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. So Peter actually experienced the miracle of walking on water. He walked towards Jesus. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. He was beginning to sink when he saw the waves. And then, you know, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt you of little faith, he said, why did you 
jumped out. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Hallelujah. <laughs> then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. He worshipped him and he received worship as his due unto God. Hallelujah. Living by faith. There's something very interesting here that happened. And if you can read between the lines, there's a question here. A very, very big question. Jesus told Peter to come. And Peter actually began to walk on water. Then he began to sink when he, when he was afraid. Then he said, Lord, save me. And then the Lord caught him before he sank. And the Lord did not say, the Lord asked him, why did you doubt? He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Meaning, obviously, rationally, logically, that Peter beginning to sink was because he began to doubt. Meaning that the reason why Peter began to sink was because he began to doubt. But this is the interesting thing because this is one of the problems with the way this thing can be read. This thing can be read in such a way that it was not about Peter's will. It was because Peter began to, because Peter believed that he walked on water. And because Peter doubted that he began to sink. Only half of that is true. The reason why Peter began to walk on water was because Jesus said, come. Do you understand that? Because if Jesus did not say, come, if you jump into the water, the reason why Peter began to walk on the water was because Peter's, um, God Jesus said, come. Come. I'm making it available to you. I am giving it to you. Then Peter believed. But the moment he stopped believing, he began to sink. This is what living by faith for the believer is. And it's for you to understand. Faith is, be it unto me according to your word. Like, like the Lord's mother said. It is not be it unto me according to my desires. I know that it's, 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 it's possible to read Mark chapter 11 and read it like as if it is Jesus was teaching, be it unto me according to my desires. Because he says, whatever you, you, know, you desire with your heart, believe that you have it and you will have it. But that statement was within a larger context of an experience. That statement, be it unto me according to, uh, be it unto you according to your desire, or be it unto you according to your faith, is within a larger picture of Jesus or the Lord offering you something, making something available to you, and then you now believing it, appropriating it, or presenting yourself for it, as Pastor Sheshe will say. So, just like Mary said, it is be it unto me according to your word, not be it unto me according to my desire. The reason why it is important to know the difference between those two is that it is possible for you to desire something that is not the word of God. Do you hear what I just said now? It is possible for you to desire something that is not God's word. But when God's word comes to you, you need to desire it so that you can benefit of it. 
So when we say be it unto you according to your desire, we are saying it within the context that your desire is inside of God's word. So what I just said now. So faith for a believer, living by faith, is not you making up how you want to live your life. It is not you deciding how you want to lead your life. It is you believing God's will, presenting yourself for God's will. When Jesus says, come, you step out and believe in the one who says you should come until you get to him. Faith is not in believing in your willpower, in my ability to hold a consistent confession. Faith is not about believing in your ability to not change your mind on a matter and to hold your confession consistently. Faith is not believing in your prayer. Faith is believing in God, the one who said, So shall I get to what I'm saying to you? It's very important for you to understand this. It's very important for you to understand this. The reason why you can walk on water is because Jesus said, come. But when Jesus says, come, you must present yourself. You must believe. You must accept. You must appropriate it. You must receive it. When the Lord says, come, you too step forward. When the Lord says, come, you too step forward. That means there are things in your life, not all things, and this is part of the reason why one of the things that people like to do, in, one of the things in Christianity, especially for Christianity, is that whenever the Lord reveals different things, make sure you hold all of them. And don't try to make it easy for yourself. Part of the problem is people always coming up with doctrines and ideas that, make, that are easy to preach. Hopefully that are young minister, listen to this very well. Don't try to make the word of God easy for yourself to preach by trying to break it down into simple bite-sized principles for, people to, for it to be easy for you to preach. One of the things that people will do is that because, simply because the Bible, the Lord tells us here clearly that because Peter began to doubt, he began to sing. Please, the Lord, it's not a commentary. It's not um, the book of Acts. Um, it was Peter that was saying it or something. You understand what the thing that is saying here? That it was, um, was all those things. It's prescriptive, it's not descriptive. This is the Lord telling us something. He says, why did you begin to doubt? You have little faith. That means that there are areas of your life where you ought to be walking on water now. Use the word, see, follow what I'm saying. All right? Don't begin to think that that means that walking on water is equivalent. Because walking on water is a big thing, is a miraculous thing. Therefore, it means that I can become popular like Bill Gates or something. Right? Calm down. Just understand. That there are places where you ought to walk on water that you are sinking. Because you have refused to believe. That means that really and truly, there are areas of your life where you could be better, where you could be more effective, where you could be closer to what the Lord wants for you, what the Lord prefers for you, that you are not there yet simply because you have refused to present yourself when the Lord has said, come. But there are also like places of your life where you are sinking because you jumped out of the boat and nobody said, did you hear what I just said now? <laughs> there are two reasons why you can be sinking. 
Because the Lord, it can either be because the Lord has said, come, and you refused. Or began to doubt because the things of this world is happening. Lagos is happening. Your parents say something. Things are happening in family. Your friends and all that. Because of that, people are telling you all kinds of negative reports. And people are telling you how things are going in their life. And people are giving you their own experiences. And because of that, you just believe that this thing is not possible. And you refuse to present yourself for it. And because of that, you are sinking. And you are struggling. But there are certain things also that you are sinking and struggling because the Lord did not say you should what? This is living by faith. When you understand Christian teaching on faith, you will understand that faith is not actually something that is meant to help you to accomplish something so that you can be independent of God. You will now understand what it means that the just shall live by faith. Because it actually is a lifestyle where you have to be constantly connected to God. There is no faith if you are distanced from God. You know, there's this subconscious feeling of, Lord, help me. There's this subconscious feeling with the way faith has been preached in the last 30, 40 years, where people look at faith like as if I confess some things, I pray for some things, and I can get those things, and God is not really in the mix. It's a kind of life where you believe that you can overcome by yourself. But that's actually not the picture of faith, though. Any faith, any teaching of faith, or any belief system of faith that makes you have a sense of independence that is about you and how you can get things done, you are not teaching faith or you are not living faith. Walking by faith, living your life by faith, actually determines, actually requires that you are constantly connected to the Lord. This is what living by faith is. When the Lord says, come, and you refuse to come. Hallelujah. Church out together. But this is, the, this is the thing. This is the place where it gets interesting. The place where it gets interesting is this. In reality, because you cannot preach a message now to sound nice and everything, but in reality it doesn't follow. It's hard to really execute, right? The truth is this, and if anybody's, if you are listening and you are paying attention, one question that will have dropped in your heart by now is, but how do we know when Jesus is come? Isn't it? How do I know which one is when Jesus says come or the one that Jesus did not say it? How do I know? How do I know? It also begs the question of should I even bother? Should I even stress myself? You will understand now. Church, all together. Matthew chapter 15. Three interesting stories. Matthew chapter 15. Verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. So Jesus left Judea and went into Tyre and Sidon, which is a Phoenician area in the Mediterranean. There is actually, I think it's like north of where Judea is, where they call Palestine today. Where the Romans called Palestine later after they destroyed the temple. Verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. So this woman is doggedly following after Jesus. She's doggedly following after Jesus. And he answered, 
I was sent only to the Lordship of Israel. So while the Lord was on the earth, he had a focus. And his focus was to minister to the people through whom the oracles came. It was those people that will now take the ministry to the ends of the world. Because unto them are the words, oracles. So Jesus came to minister to them, communicate the gospel to them, and then they will now take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to all of us bloody Gentiles, including people that think they are uh, Jewish people, all right? Verse 25. Now the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the, to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. So um, when I was preparing, I did a little study to find out what the word, this whole dogs thing, because the thing sometimes rubs me the wrong way. Intuitively, obviously, I know that, you know, I know that what comes to your mind readily is not what it is about, but you know. Anyway, I started this study and I found out that the word dog here is actually not the word dog that we have in Philippians chapter 3 or Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus says, do not cast your pearls before dogs, or when Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 that there are dogs, that God is their stomach and everything, that word dog there is corn, which, which is to, is a Greek word which is used, usually used to describe um, someone that is dirty, unclean. And I should give context to that. Outsiders, outside of the Jewish people, especially people that were Samarians, sometimes they call them dogs. And what it means was that the Samarians also had their own slur for Jewish people also. Basically, Samarian people were people that had northern, northern Israel. The, northern, the ten kingdoms of northern Israel, they had mixed with the Canaanite people, with Moabites and all those people around those places. So they had become a kind of new civilization. But they were pagans, Right? They were pagans and they, were not, they refused to offer. So they had all these weird things they did where they would put Yahweh as one of the gods and all those kind of weird pagan distant and all that. Forming boss. And Jesus would tell them that this thing you are doing is very unclean. And they insisted on being pagans and all that. So sometimes they call them unclean. And then in, in Christianity, it was translated to Christianity to mean people that were people that hold on to their evil and hold on to their depravity, even when you are teaching them the truth. That's why Apostle Paul calls those false teachers in Philippians chapter 3. He called them dogs, that their stomach is their what? God. That's what he meant. But here, the word dog here is actually conarion, and what it means is puppy. Hallelujah. So it's actually it's a different word. So what it means here is that it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the puppy. That means there's a small puppy is a beloved family member, is a puppy that is part of the house, like your normal puppy. It's, so the word is different from the word for unclean outside dog. It's actually conarion. You should check it up, alright? You know, say we know the white each other for this church. So check it. So <laughs> The word kunarion here is the word puppy, small dog, a pet in the house. So what Jesus was actually saying, and I get some things now, because I remember I was, some time ago I was studying on hermeneutic, proper hermeneutic principle, and one of the insistence of the Protestants is that God's word is inspired and inspiration was in the original language. It used to sound funny to me, but I get it now. I get it. Praise God. Anyway, what Jesus was actually saying is that I cannot be feeding it cannot be food time. It cannot be time for feed your children. You will not take the food that's supposed to be given your children and be giving your dog. And your children are hungry. You understand what I'm saying? Have you ever done it before? Say it's time for food, gather your children, and then you now say, No, well, hold on. Let me feed my puppy first. Jesus now said, No. I cannot be taking the food I'm supposed to be using to feed the children and be giving it to puppies because I have priorities. Then the woman said something. She said, Yes, it is Lord. So you are right. Father, Lord, you are right. I cannot, you cannot be taking the food of the children and give to the puppies while the children are starving. But even the puppies eat the crumbs that fall from the matter's table. That means that bad as the bad. As the children are eating, some will still touch us. Therefore, some can touch me. 
Ah! Jesus said, then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Do you know the faith that the woman demonstrated here is? Her faith was not that she had a spectacular will. Her faith was not about her ability to be stubborn and to hold on. Her faith was her ability to appropriate what the will of God, of God is. So do you understand what I'm saying to you? What is the will of God? Obviously, Jesus came for the whole world. But he had a priority. He wanted to focus on the Israelites. But even then, even then, in his will, he had some space for even those that were not Jews. That's why he healed the Roman. He, healed the, he raised the son of the woman that was at Nain. And all those people, they were non-Jewish people that he also healed. So what this woman was doing was that, it was like Jesus saying, and this is one thing I want you guys to understand about this whole thing of tolerated will and um, um, you know, preferred will. Listen to me, right? That, those qualifications, preferred will and tolerated will, that means there are some things that God prefers for you and there are some things that God will allow. We say those things for you to just understand something. That sometimes you can, you can have two different outcomes and everything will still be with the, the great will of God. Do you understand that? There are two possible outcomes and those two possible outcomes are the will of God. Sometimes we think of, about God as if God is our mate. As if God is one directional, just like you, that you cannot see beyond your eyes. It is possible that two things can be the will of God for you. One will be better. One will not be so, so good. And God will allow you to stay in the second one because God is sovereign. That means in the will of God, there was a possibility that God, um, you know, that the Lord wants to focus on Jewish people. But even in that, the Lord has space for those who were not yet Jews that were willing to believe in him. So what this woman did was, you know, as we say it, was that she moved from a tolerated place to a what? Preferred place. Because ultimately, where was the Lord going? Was it not to minister to all the nations of the earth? Including the Gentiles, isn't it? So do you understand what just happened there? So, it was not according to this woman, it was not for this woman according to her desire. It was to this woman according to his word. It was because he, it was his will that even the puppies, that's why he didn't call her dog outsider. If she was a dog outsider, that means she was not even in the plan at all. But he called her a popular, telling her that you are beloved, but it is not your time yet. So do you understand what's going on here? Do you understand what happened there? <laughs> it was the Lord telling her that you are beloved, but you are not in the picture yet. And she was saying, Lord, even if I'm not in the priority, there is a space for me. If it was not the will of God to heal her, one thing that people don't realize is that Jesus actually left Jerusalem, left Judea, and went to Tyre and Sidon. Jesus went all the way to another country. If Jesus did not want to come and heal you, because Jesus is not your mate, he's omniscient, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Jesus will not come all the way from his own country, like going from Nigeria to Ghana, and you get there, and someone says, come and heal me. And I say, I do not want to heal you. Why did you come? You will heal me. So do you have something? When the Lord went to another country, he was thinking of her. So this woman was not going to be healed if it was not the will of God. So are you getting what I'm saying to you? So it is not built unto me according to my desire. That statement is only correct if it is built unto me according to your word. And listen to me, the reason why the Lord said no first, in quotes, the reason why the Lord said no, and it's something that you guys are going to understand now by the time I read the third example to you. 
is that the ultimate answer to your question, your real good, your real good, what is good for you? What is gooder for you than every other good that you can get? Allow me to say it the way I'm saying it. What is gooder for you than any other good you can get? Because there are different kinds of goods you can have in your life. But there's an ultimate good. What is truly good for you as a person is anything that will make you to be united with your God. To anything that will be one with him. Because God is the good. The closer you are to him, the closer you are to good. That's why even if you, you want a car so bad, I want an iPad so bad, I want a phone. As, long as, as much as that thing can be good in some sentence, if, if that thing is going to rob you of being close to God, then that thing is not a good. So do you want something to me? That's why healing can be a good. But there's a good that is gooder than that good, which is united with God. So that means that in your journey of the Lord blessing you with some goods, God's priority at every point in time, what is most important to him because he loves you and he wants the maximum good for you, is that which, you, which will draw you close to him. So the Lord was doing certain things. The Lord was, doing, was fond of doing certain things, which he still does today, and you'll see it in the next story we're going, to do, we're going to read now. One of the things that the Lord is fond of doing was that in dealing with you, he will ask you questions and do things with you that the essence of those things is to make you come closer to him. There's a way God can deal with you that you have desires. I want to get into UI. I want to go and do masters. I want to get this. I want to get married and everything. There's a way that God will use that desire to deal with you such that by the time you get the thing, you'll be like, well, this is not important. Lord, I'm happy I have you. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> not the Lord was demonstrating with this woman. The Lord did things like this often to demonstrate to people and to bring out the best from them. When the Lord says, and be sent to the Lordship of Israel. He was not lying. He was not whining her. He was actually sent to the Lordship of Israel. But there was another will. He was pulling it out of her. That's why the Lord will reach out, come and meet Jesus and say, um, good, good teacher, good rabbi. Jesus will say, why are you calling me good? There's no other one, bro, good. Jesus was not saying, I'm not good. What he was saying is, calling out of him, do you know the meaning of what you are saying? Jesus now get to John chapter 10 and now say, I am the good shepherd. Jesus, how did you happen there? Do you understand what happened there? Jesus was not saying, I'm not good. He was calling out of him. So I'll come and meet Jesus and say, um, is it good for us to pay taxes? Jesus will not ask them question back. Whose face is on it? What is he doing? Calling it out of them. Opening your mind. Awakening, awakening your mind to that which he wants to do. When God is asking you a question, he's not asking you a question because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking you the question so that you can answer it and your own head can be correct. You know, there's a way that someone can ask you a question that's forcing you to think about the question. Calling it out of you makes you to become a better person. So, you understand what I'm saying? When Adam and Eve fell, and um, after they have disobeyed him, and he came and I said, Who told you you are naked? Why are you hiding? You think he did not know? You think before the foundation of the earth, he did not see it coming? Why? You wanted Adam to answer. So, travel together. So, the Lord, asked, telling the woman that had been sent to the Lordship of Israel, was him calling forth out of the woman. That understanding. Does she know my will? That means there is no faith without knowing what the Lord will is. He was calling forth out of the woman that, what are you believing me for? What have you come to me for? And the woman poured out that she understood that I know I am beloved. 
And I know that this is not the time for us yet. And I know that this is not our dispensation yet. But even in this dispensation, in your mercy, I know that you have space for me. So I get what I'm saying to you. So this first example, you know where I'm coming from. The question I ask you is that, in practice, many times working by faith, the question is, how do I know when Jesus has said, come? How do I know what is the will of God for me? And in practice, this can be a difficult question, but it's not that difficult. Let me show you how you know. And I'm going to use the two examples to show you. The first example is this. If you have your desires and you are not sure whether it is the will of God or not, eh? go to the Lord with your desires. If your desires are his will, he will tell you it is my will and bless it. Do you understand that? So, that means as a person, you have some things that are the good. You know, I'm talking to believers. I'm talking to people that are saved. Alright? So, I don't need to spell out some things. I'm talking to people that are saved, so I assume that when we're talking about your desires, we're talking about things that are generally, generally in God's generally revealed will for us that is good. you understand that? I don't expect you to I don't expect you that your desires are satanic things and you are bringing it to the Lord and saying, Lord, is this your will? All right? This is, I mean, this is, you should know. So I'm talking to believers and I assume that as a child of God, you have certain desires that appear good in your eyes. Like this Canaanite woman, like this Syrophoenician woman, you don't know whether the Lord is saying come or not. You don't know. All you know is that this is my heart desire and it appears like a good thing. My daughter is ill and I want her to be. This is a good thing. Lord, what do I do? Will you sit down and be navel gazing and be looking at your navel until Jesus comes and tells you, come or no come? What you do as a child of God is just like this woman. You go to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I want. And if it is the will of God, you know, you stay in prayer. If it is the will of God, the Lord will now tell you that your faith is great. You have done well. This is my will. Receive what you have. Church, do you understand that? So, when we tell you that faith is actually responding to the will of God, we're not telling you that that means I don't need to pray again. That means I should just sit down and be waiting for things to happen. It's the will of God. When it happens, it happens. That's not what we're saying. That place we are staying is a tolerated place. You will stay there and you will suffer. And God will allow you. In fact, you'll be using it to work together things for the glory of other people. You know, they can use it as, a, as an example. God can cause light to shine out of darkness. God will use your darkness to shine light in people's lives. That will not be your portion in Jesus' name. You don't say amen well. Okay. So you don't be like this woman. You will, rather, you will demonstrate what this woman demonstrated. If the Lord says, if the Lord says, um, if you have a desire, do you know that something is good? You go to the Lord with it. You present it to the Lord. And so, if you want to can't, can't try, try to transpose it on the story of, of Peter, what Peter did there was that the Lord was on the sea and what Peter said was that, Lord, if it, if it is you, let me what? Come. Do you understand that? So if you see Jesus walking on water, if you see in his word that something is good, listen to me, just follow, don't worry, you understand. If you see that something is good, like Peter, like this woman, what you do is ask the Lord, Lord, should I come? And if it is we, he will say, come. And once he says, come, what do you do? You hold on to it. Do you know what I just said, say now? If you don't hold on to it, you will sink. Let him say, come. And when he says it, hold on to it. Believe in the one that created the entire universe. 
There's nothing that he cannot do. If he's the one that said come, he will do it. Do you understand what I just said? Let me channel my little bit of preaching here, alright? <laughs> he's the creator of the universe. He's the one that, though being immortal, can take on flesh and come into humanity. He's the one that can heal the blind eyes that, have, that has never seen from birth. He's the one that can raise the dead. Raise the dead. He's the one that can save souls that are completely far away from him and give them a new life so that the Holy Spirit can live inside of them. There's nothing that God cannot do, sir. There's nothing that God cannot do. If he says, come, hold on to it until you see it. You hear what I just said now? Forget the waves that are buffeting and Lagos is telling you things that people are telling you things that this thing cannot work. This thing is not possible. It's not, it's not, it's not, God has told you, come and do ministry. And people are telling you that Lagos, um, um, places to meet are expensive. Can you call, can you call? He said, come. What do you do? Hallelujah. Praise God. There's another picture here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So, if your desires are what comes first, or if the awareness of your desires is what comes first, you present it to the Lord, and the Lord says, come, you go. There are some times where something else can happen. And I'll read it to you. You can understand, well, these are the parts where this thing is not well thought. And has led a lot of souls into destruction. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 1 says, I must go on posting. This is Apostle Paul speaking. I must go on boasting. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heavens. Whether it was, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and I heard inexpressible, inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. Hmm. He's about to start cooking. So let me just give you a preamble for those that don't know this story very well. There's a church, a big church, one of the richest churches in the ancient, ancient Near East. It's a Corinthian church, very rich, very powerful church, very, very large too. Um, and a lot of people have done ministry there because the place is like Lagos. A lot of people passed through the place. So because of that, a lot of ministers have gone through the place. Peter had been there. Apollos had been there. A lot of apostles in the early church who had been there. So everybody had their own following and all that. So it was not like today where one man can build a mega church for himself. In those days, if, they, if you get saved, you join the entire body of Christ in that place. You understand that? So there are some issues there. And then Paul you know, wrote to them to chastise them and to deal with them very well for what they did and all that. So he was now sending a second letter to, you know, they say after you flog a child with one hand, use the second one towards. Uh-huh. All right, so he was now using the second letter towards pull them closer. That okay, everything's all right and all that. So while pulling them closer, he was also trying to remind them that see, <laughs> nobody say anything. No, I'm actually a man of God. It's not, it's not that you know, sometimes some things will happen. I know this is about social media sometimes where you correct something, and people who are coconut head that don't want to accept the correction, they will try to evade the correction by questioning your credibility. You know, that happens a lot when you want to correct an excess. And in the body, people who like the excess and enjoy the excess, because excess is sweet. 
People will like the excess and enjoy the excess and think that some experiences they had are evidence that that excess is good. When you try to correct them, one of the things they will do is a kind of ad hominem, right? It's, it means they will try to correct, they will try to attack your credibility to check. They will question whether you're a real man of God. And when they do that in public, a lot of people will not accept your correction because people that are now listening to you will be hearing you based on the filter of, this man might not be a man of God. I know a man's credibility matters a lot. As I always say, that the gospel is credible, but the man carrying the gospel must, always be, must also be what? Credible. <laughs> so when they, when they try to question your credibility, what they do is that they're making it harder for other people that could learn to learn from you. Because people will not take you seriously. They won't listen to you. They do that a lot. One that reminded me recently is one that happened to Pastor Shea. Pastor Shea see, when you're going on evangelism, the KPI for evangelism is not how many people spoke in tongues. You know that thing we used to do when we were young? You go and get us, go and do evangelism. And I say, you now come and I say, I got five people, I see five people, four of them began to speak in tongues. Oh, God. The answer of evangelism is not to get people to speak in tongues. The of evangelism is to get people saved. Some people speak in tongues while they are getting saved. Thank God. But that's not the KPI. You say, hmm, I want cessationists. But she has to start telling them that, see, I am a man of God. <laughs> not be today. We don't need to preach these things since. We not be saying we, we are charismatic. So God, forget. Free. <laughs> so that was what was happening to Paul here. This thing happens a lot. Right? That was what was happening to Paul here. So Paul was trying to tell them that, see, see, normally, normally, <laughs> we're not doing so bad. <laughs> we are actually men of God. I'm a man of God. So if you read from, um, from chapter 8 down, you see that coming up a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Paul talking about his ministry. I do not, I do not magnify, my, I magnify my ministry as an apostle and all those kinds of things. So he's telling us here that even while he was on the earth, the Lord gave him some supernatural visions. And his story is a very interesting story that you hardly ever see faith preachers talk about. Because this story throws a spanner in that entire doctrine. Verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think of me more than what is warranted by what I do or say. So even as Paul is rolling out his credentials, he's still being held together by a very high sense of ministry ethics. There's a very high sense of ministry ethics that the early prophets and apostles had. If you read, if well read the Didache, you also saw it there. There's a ministry ethic that is unspoken but we can all sense it and we can tell. That ethic is that whenever a man is preaching and is drawing glory to himself, he's talking about how great he is. If he's talking about how mighty he is, if he's doing things, giving examples to show that he's a very, very powerful guy, he's a false prophet. Yeah, because false prophets don't point to Jesus, they point to themselves so that they can lead people astray for their benefits. Do you understand that? So Paul is telling here that even though I have the ability to boast and draw attention to myself, I do not want to do it so that you will not give undue attention to me and forget who Jesus is. Do you understand what's going on there? So that one is a lesson for you to keep on your left side. Watch people. You see certain people, hmm, listen to me. And I say this without apology. Let me just preach. If a pastor has a hype man, he's a false prophet. And I'm not laughing with you. <laughs> if the pastor is preaching and there's a man standing, glorifying him, he is a false prophet. Yes, I said it. Let's go on. Verse 7. All because of these surpassingly great revelations, 
Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So Paul was going through a lot. There was a messenger of Satan. We don't know what it is. We're not clear. And you know, I've told you guys many times that that in itself is a miracle. But we'll come to that now. Let me build up to it. He says that I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. We don't know. We have been doing scholarship for 2,000 years. All the church fathers have tried that. Everybody says sickness. Some people said it's persecution. Some people said that it was a sense of guilt from when he was doing ministry and it was preventing him from, because he had killed a lot of people. People know that Paul was actually a murderer. I know who a murderer is. I hope none of you has killed somebody before, right? But <laughs> killing, killing somebody or taking somebody's life is not a small thing. This is now someone that has killed many people, right? So people postulated all kinds of things. But guess what? None of us know. So this was what he was going through a lot. He was suffering. And this is not... When a person is suffering, when Paul is saying, I'm being tormented, he's not talking about postmodernist, neo Marxist, 21st century liberal suffering, where someone ratioed you, said, My mental health. These are the days when people die by 30 because of sickness. These were the days when people lived their lives normally with sickness. It was a normal thing, it wasn't strange. These were the days when you get accustomed to them crucifying people. You know what crucifixion is? These people were acquainted compared to our time with what suffering is. Someone is now saying that I was being tormented. This man was going through a lot. And like Peter, like the Syrophoenician woman, he did the right thing. What did he do? Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. It's another thing. I need to talk about this idea that I'm a child of God, I can command God. I just need to confess it and say it with authority the way I want. Hmm. Say, declare. I have the voice and all those things. Listen. I have the mouth. I can do whatever I like. Listen. It's not up to you. Do you hear what I just said now? Believers do usually normally plead. Forget all these things. You can see what he said here. It means there are some things that will happen. It's not him. Um, I declare. I declare. God, God, listen. Some things are happening to you. You lie down flat before the Lord. And you say, Lord, help me. Please, Lord. It's not him. Um, um, I declare. Lord, I, I'll say anything I like. There's not faith, oh. Are you hear what I'm saying to you? Forget all these things. That is not faith. Is it when you know when someone says that I used to go to heaven to see visions and the person says three times I prayed in your mind? What kind of three times? The one time, what does it look like to you? When Paul says three times I pleaded, now try to picture one time for perspective. This is the kind of person that writing to this church and be saying, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. The person that is telling the church that I can speak in tongues more than you all, that means in prayer. And when I'm praying, I speak in tongues, but I would rather speak 1,000 in private and speak one understanding to you. That man says, I pleaded with God three times. I want you to understand what, what do you think that would have looked like. You think it was, Lord, Father, just help me. And that's the end. Then do it again tomorrow morning. Lord, Father, just help me. I'm talking about that travail in prayer. On their knees, lying down before the Lord. Saying, Lord, help me. I'm being tormented. I am suffering. Lord, help me. This is faith. Faith is believing in God, not in yourself, not in your declarations. Do you understand that? Not in your prayer. 
It is, how do I say this? I have to be very careful. It is God that makes your prayer powerful. Because I was about to say it is not a prayer that is powerful, but that's not true. It's God that makes your prayer powerful. If God was not hearing your prayer, your prayer would be meaningless. You understand that? So your prayer is powerful, but it is powerful because of God. Your prayer is powerful because God hears the prayer. So he said, I pray to God. Then verse 9 now says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, Paul now says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may what? Rest on me. The man asked, The Lord, I'm being tormented. Please help me. And the Lord's answer was, I will give you something instead. I'm not taking away the stone of flesh. What I will do is that I will give you grace. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I told you, what is God's priority for you? Your good. What will draw you closer to himself? This man had a revelation that was liable to become a temptation unto him that will make him have a sense of pride and become conceited and make him separated from God. So, so that he will not be conceited, even though it was Satan that tormented him, God said that I will supply my grace instead of taking it away. So, I what I'm saying to you. Did you hear what just happened now? So, that means sometimes when you are suffering, when you go to God and you pray, and you pray and you plead with the Lord, and you pray, and you trust God. Just like Peter said, and the Syrophoenician woman said, sometimes God will say, no, don't come out to the water, because I know you. If you come out to the water, you just run off. Stay in the boat. But even in that boat, I will make my glory to be seen in your life. Church, you hear what happened now? So that means that sometimes you go to the Lord, and you are praying, and you are asking for something. And what the Lord will give you instead... What the Lord will give you instead is something else, something better, something that is good for you. Ha! Ah. So take it on saying to you now. <laughs> sometimes, let me say it well, sometimes you go to the Lord and the Lord will say, no, I will give you something else. Because that thing that he is giving you is better for you in the long run. This is the reason why faith is not according to your desires, but according to his word. Listen to me. There are times you will go to the Lord and what the Lord will give you is something else instead. There are some times that you ask that what you are asking for for yourself is dangerous. Ah, which Psalm is it? Psalm 115? Where the Bible tells us that, Bible tells us that these guys went and they tempted the Lord, the Israelites in the wilderness. That they tempted the Lord and they were asking for their heart desires. And God gave them their heart desires and it sent leanness into their souls. Sometimes you will ask for something. You will, they give you the thing. The thing will become leanness to your soul and destroy you. You know what I said now? This guy, they, 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 they tempted God. And said, God, you must give us quills. God, give us, you must give us quills. God says, trust me. I'm the one giving you. Say, Lord, you must give us what we want. Take what you want. That thing they got. It caused a plague to be among them. And it was set leanness to their souls. There are some things you are asking for that are not good for you. You cannot see beyond your nose, figuratively speaking. 
As a father, I understand this very well. These children don't know what is good for them. Just yesterday, the second one wanted to play on the stage. I went to go and stand in a place where they could not come down, could not go up. Was now shouting. You want to play on the railing from upstairs. Where if you fall, you... But that is what you want. It is not good for you. You now get yourself stuck in a place where if they don't come and deliver you, you cannot go down. You cannot go up. You now be there shouting, Daddy. <laughs> if you leave these children to want to watch what they want to watch, they will watch those colorful cartoons that will not allow them to, allow them to develop normally. Sometimes what you want will actually bring poison to your soul. Sometimes what you want will actually bring poison to your soul. That's why if you're a child of God, if you're asking for some things and those things don't come, for you to now say because of that God does not exist, I'm living God, God has favorites and all that, it means that maybe you're not a child of God. But what a child knows is that my father wants what is best for me. If my father did not give me, it means it was not good for me. This is faith. It's not declared. When you tell people long enough that they can have whatever they declare, even when they're declaring things that are demonic for them and God does not give them, they'll be offended with God for God helping you. You were declaring something that was evil to you. God did not give you. Because of that, it became an atheist. God was helping you because he loves you, but you now become angry. And now say, God did not give me what I wanted. Therefore, God does not exist. The thing now is that how this thing can become a snare to your soul, you cannot even know. You don't even know whether there's something that will happen in five years' time or ten years' time or something that will affect your children. You don't even know. That's why you have to realize that your God is not your mate. He's bigger than you. When he says something, you trust him. This is faith. This is what it means to live by faith. This is the whole teaching and the truth of faith. You can only walk on water because he says, come. But when he says, come, you must go. Simple. When you put all these things together, what does this tell you? You will pray. You will pray. Because at every point in time, I mean, unless, you are, unless you want to be deceiving yourself, all right? All right, so I'm not even tell you that I met one dimension. Unless you want to be deceiving ourselves. We all know that many times in our lives, we don't even know on which matters God has said come or which one he has not said come. Am I lying? Many times you see one fine girl, you say you want to marry her. You don't even know. You are just, you understand? You say you want to do this, you want to go and get a job in this particular company. You don't know. You don't know. You say you want to choose this school for your children. You don't know. There are many decisions we don't know. This is why we will pray. You will pray like Peter. You will say, Lord, is it your will? Let me come. Like Paul, like the Seraphim woman, you will pray. You present it to the Lord. The one where the Lord says, take it. You will receive it and give God thanks. The one where he says, no, thank God for the alternative that he gave you. The one where he says, wait, wait with joy and patience and perseverance, rejoicing. This is the Christian life. There's no walking by faith that is exempted from prayer. There's no individualism in faith. There's no being far from God in faith. Because if faith is about when the Lord says, come, that means you must be listening for where he says, come. This is why the just shall live by faith. That's why faith is not reduced to something so paltry as what you declare and having what you have, what you declared. No! It's actually a lifestyle. Staying unto the Lord, eagerly waiting for to hear what he will say to you. Hey, do you understand what I'm saying to you? James chapter 1 verse 5. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives you generously. Who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must... Come on, church, are we together? When you ask, you must... And not... You must... And not... Because the one who doubts is like a wave of sea blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You must believe and not doubt. When the Lord has said, come, you must believe. This is the reason why you are not working on water in some areas of your life. Some areas. You must believe and not doubt. If God has shown you something that you can do or the Lord will have you do, you must believe. The reports of men are insignificant. God is greater than them all. If God has said that you have the Holy Spirit and you can walk by the fruit of the Spirit, you can walk in sanctification, you can have joy even when your heart is corrupted or your heart, your heart is ill because of the broken nature of this world and the things that are happening to you and the things all around you and it's making you to be depressed and full of sorrow and this thing. But the word of the Lord says that these are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, faith, joy. I have joy in my spirit. That is the Lord telling you to what? Come. Believe in the Lord. The Lord can kill that depression. There is nothing that God cannot... There is nothing that God cannot do. Church, I got what I'm saying to you. When the Lord says, come, money matter, go to him. Do not doubt. You must believe. Because there is nothing that God cannot do. Mark chapter 6 tells us something. The Lord went to his own hometown. And he could not do much miracles there. Why? Because they did not receive him. Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. Write that down. You can read it on your sign. He said he could not do miracles there because they did not believe. Guess what? It means that the Lord went there to minister to them. If the Lord did not go, there would be nothing to believe. Do you understand that? If the Lord did not go there, would there be anything to believe? Can they just sit down on their own if the Lord is not there and say, we are healed? Can they? No. But the Lord went there. And after the Lord had gone there, they still did not receive him. So he did not do much among them. Church, so together. It has pleased the Lord that you must believe for him to do things in your life. You must believe. Are you understand to you? You must believe. You must believe. This explains a lot of the reasons why a person can have a gift and the Lord has ministered to them or God has given them certain faculties or abilities, certain graces to minister to the body and if they don't believe, it, they will not see it. You must believe. That is not now to say that you can just see anything you want, any gift you like. You understand what I'm saying? Church, you must keep these things in your mind. Take this for anything. If you see something good that is available in God's word and you see that it is good and you want this thing, what do you do? Go to the Lord. If he places the Lord that you have it in his wisdom, in his, when we say infinite wisdom and endless creativity, we actually mean it. If he places the Lord in his wisdom that you will do it, then you do it. If you do not place the Lord, God will give you the one that he wants to give you. Church, I work together. This is how to live by faith. If you live like this, you will never be disappointed. If you live like this, you will never be put to shame. See, everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord, he answers, they are never put to shame. There is no man who lives like this that the Lord will ever put to shame. 
Because even when it seems like as if what you, are, you are not hearing something, the Lord will continue to give you comfort. There's no man who has called on the name of the Lord that the Lord ignored. There's no such man. There's no such man. There's no man who has cried out, out unto the Lord asking for mercy that the Lord ignored him. There's no such man. There's no such man that pleaded with the Lord that the Lord did not come to rescue. There's no such man. There's no such man. This is what it means to live by faith. Living with the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. So just bow down your head and let's pray. Just bow down your head and pray. By the grace of God, I pray for every one of us that when the Lord says come, we will hear. I pray that all the senses of our hearts and our souls are open and receptive to God so that when the Lord ministers to us and says come, we will go. I pray for every one of us that our eyes are open our ears are open. We will hear the word of the Lord to us in the name of Jesus. When the Lord says come through his word, we will see it in the name of Jesus. When the Lord says come through the people around us, we will hear in the name of Jesus. When the Lord says come through the means of grace, we will hear in the name of Jesus. I pray that the noise and the voice of the enemy, the voice and the noise that the enemy and Satan and the flesh has used to drown and distract us, the things that are noisy to our soul that are preventing us from hearing God and seeing Him, I pray that by His grace, that noise is silenced today. In the name of Jesus, every instrument of that noise associations, entertainment, whatever it is, I pray that by the grace of God, those instruments of that noise are silenced in the name of Jesus. When the Lord says, come, you will hear in the name of Jesus. Father, we give you thanks. Thank you, Lord. Though I walk through the valleys, Lord, I feel no evil. By the wonder stills my soul, my heart will trust in you. My heart will trust in you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.